0: In the early 90s, uh, there was a movement in the church world. A lot of pastors really kind of jumped on this because they saw a lot of churches being successful using a model called like attraction or seeker churches. And kind of the premise of these seeker churches, these attractional churches, was that you just kind of bring people in through entertainment, through very practical, relevant uh, messages that really just kind of speak to like where people are at in their lives. And the basic logic was you get people in the door, you get them there, and then at, at some point, then you give them the meaty and substantive truths to help them see Jesus in the gospel. But it, sadly, I think that part of the problem was with these types of churches, it's kind of the old classic bait-and-switch kind of thing, is what you people you bring people in, then they expect that to keep them, and so oftentimes these uh, things that they expected from the church, and they soon sound found out that the church didn't actually believe those things, or they believe differently than the things they portrayed, and it's kind of a, a very sticky situation because a lot of these people they had that led these churches had great hearts; they really desired to reach people for Jesus, but I feel like that the the problem was that it just was not accurate to what the gospel is about. In fact, I was uh, looking on this one church, and it said, at Blank Church, you can come and meet friends and neighbors. You hear positive, practical messages that uplift you each week, and it makes you feel good about yourself. It teaches you how to overcome depression, how to have a full and successful life, learn how to handle your money without it handling you, the secrets of a successful family living and how to overcome stress, and, and so the church was marketed to be that for people. So come, and we're going to tell you how to accomplish all of these things. Well, the problem is uh, when you preach that and you don't preach leading with the gospel, then. You expect those things to change people's lives, and you actually set people up for something they can't keep, right? If an unbeliever, a lost person, a person who's not trusting Jesus comes in and here's how to have a successful life, and they walk out try to implement the five things practically you said to do in order to make that happen, they can't do that because they don't have the Holy Spirit, or if they're a believer and they're not in the Word, they don't have the power of the Spirit working through their life. And so it was, it was really a, a flaw in the approach that many churches took at that time. And the thing is, at Grace Church, we never want to get away from the truth is that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing. And so while you can give a lot of antidotes and practical uh, applications to scripture, c- clearly, if you're not teaching the gospel, the word of Christ is the gospel. The word of Christ is the gospel. If you're not preaching the gospel, if you're not teaching the gospel, then faith isn't going to flourish. Faith isn't going to grow. Faith isn't going to be what's propelling your life. And so God says his people are converted when Jesus is lifted up and exalted and during the reading and the preaching of his word. And so as we're beginning to regroup in K-group and as we're getting back together in community, I want to challenge us today as K-group leaders, as people who are leading children's ministry and refuge small groups, That we want to regroup around the gospel. We want to make sure that the gospel is central in all that we do because the gospel is what shapes the identity of our community. All right, that's going to be the big idea. It's going to be really simple today. The gospel must shape the identity of our community. And the only thing that the church can provide to the world that is truly unique is the gospel. Let me say that again the only thing that the church can provide to this world that is truly unique is the gospel. And that's what God has called us to share and to lift up, not just from here, but from all our groups that gather and all our ministries together. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So let's pray and we're going to look at being, letting Christ and the word of Christ to shape our community. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth and life. It gives us hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I, I just confess to you that myself and the church as a whole at large, God, uh, so many times we move away from the, the central truth that we should be about, which is the gospel, Jesus crucified, and risen again. And God, I pray today that will be a reminder for all our leaders, those who have influence, those who work with children, those who work with teenagers, God. It'll be a reminder to all of us of the centrality of the gospel and how that We must lift you up, and the Word of Christ must be what propels everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if the gospel is going to shape the community here at Grace Church, if we're going to be shaped and our culture is going to be influenced by the gospel, how do we practically do that? How do we make that happen? And here's the very first obvious thing. We must have an unshakable confidence in the gospel. All right? If you're following along in the notes... If you're following in scripture, write this down. If you're making notes, we must have an unshakable confidence in the gospel. Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, okay, I believe the gospel. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't, I'm a Christian because of the gospel. I got that. I understand the gospel, what it's all about. I did that. Like I believed that so many years ago. And so why are we talking about having unshakable confidence in the gospel? Let me have you look at Colossians 2.6. It'll be on the screen. You'd like to flip there in your Bible as well follow along with this. We're going to be looking at it in a couple different passages, primarily in 1 Peter, but Colossians 2:6. Paul writes, "Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him." So, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How do we receive Jesus Christ? We receive Jesus Christ by faith. Those who accept Jesus in faith, Paul says, then ought to walk or to live and think as by faith. We do the same thing that brought us to Christ. It's the same th- way that we live the Christian life. Think about that for a second. Think about your personal conversion. Think about when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You, If you truly understood the gospel, you realized there was nothing that you could do. You couldn't earn it. You didn't measure up. As the songs that we sang so clearly today, there was nothing we could do. We were desperate. We were a wretch. We were in need of something beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves. And we recognized that we needed Jesus. Without Jesus Christ, we had no hope for this life or for the next life. And we rested our faith, our trust, our hope fully in Jesus Christ. Well, Paul says the same way that you came to Jesus by faith, by trusting, is the same way that you live out your Christian life, by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You live by faith in God, in the provision that God gave us through Christ and the cross. And so the context of this Colossians passage is the false teachers were confronting this church in Colossae, and they were saying that you had to have works and personal sacrifice, and that was how you were pleasing to God. And while it's true that works are a critical and essential aspect of the Christian life, they are the result of saving faith, not the source of saving faith. Do you hear that? It's the result of saving faith. If true faith is in our life, Scripture says we're going to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. We're going to walk in faith. But they flipped it around and made it about works and what we did versus what Jesus did on the cross. So our walk with God must be rooted in faith and therefore rooted in Jesus just as salvation is. And so, otherwise, our spirituality is going to be based upon human performance, our effort. And you don't live for Christ any different than you came to him by faith in him. And then he propels you through the Spirit out of love and commitment to Jesus. And so, we keep walking in the gospel. I love this quote by one of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges. It's kind of a longer quote, it's going to be on the screen. He writes Most Christians assume that the gospel is only for unbelievers. They see the gospel only as the door you walk through to be saved. The reality is that the gospel is more like a path that you walk along for the rest of your life until you go to be with the Lord. To put it in plain words, believers need to appropriate the gospel for themselves every day. We can begin each day with a deeply encouraging realization that I am accepted by God not on the basis of my personal performance, but on the basis of his infinitely perfect righteousness that we find through Jesus Christ. And so we wake up every day with the realization that we only can live by for Jesus, and we can only live this Christian life through faith in him. And Paul talks about this unshakable confidence also as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12. He says, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and a an apostle and a teacher. Verse 12. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Look at the unshakable confidence that Paul had in the gospel. He says, I belong to Jesus. I know I belong to Jesus, and he is guarding me. He is the one Who's protecting my salvation? Neither the devil nor any of the persecution he can throw at me can alter this or change this because Jesus is guarding the salvation that he gave to me. And this is not just because Paul felt something or because he found the gospel helpful at some point in his life. In fact, if you look at Paul and you look at his life and you see the results of him trusting Jesus, you can't come to the practical assumption and conclusion that the gospel was some sort of good feel-good solution to make his life more successful and better because from a human point of view paul's life would look like it was terrible i mean he was locked up in prison all the time as we talked about in philippians he was constantly persecuted for christ he was constantly being chased after by the jews for his belief in jesus and promoting jesus And so Paul's life, by human standards, didn't look successful at all. And so here we have churches in our day and age that say, come to Jesus and everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be great. Jesus is going to bless your life and he's going to give you so much prosperity and fullness. And while we know that we do receive spiritual blessing in Jesus, spiritual blessing beyond our ability to comprehend, if we come to Jesus thinking what I can get from him in order to make my life more humanly humanly and worldly successful and prosperous, we've missed the whole gospel. The gospel that Paul says, I have incredible confidence in, that I know that I can, I'm convinced of it. I know whom I've believed. And he's able to trust, to entrust this and keep it until the day he returns or the day that I go home. And so Paul knew that regardless of what happened in his life, that Jesus was working for his good and ultimately For God's glory. The gospel had changed him. He encountered Jesus. How can you have such certainty in the gospel? Because the truth is, many of us say we have a certainty and a belief in the gospel, but the way that we operate our lives and live our lives doesn't really portray that too much, does it? That if you think honestly about your life, the gospel sometimes can be confined to the religious activity that you do throughout the week a few times and pretty much everything else is you live as a a practical atheist. That God is nowhere in the equation for many people. So how can you have such certainty and such confidence in Jesus? Well, the gospel is extremely unique among all religious claims because the gospel is an announcement about certain historical events. And I think it's so important to remember that the gospel is rooted in history. Back when I was a youth pastor in Dallas, there was a guy in our youth group, his name was Keith Yoder, very, very, very smart guy, I mean, way off the charts as far as IQ, his parents were very intelligent, and he began to come into our youth ministry with a friend, and then I began to talk to him, work with him, attempting to give him the gospel, and one day we were sitting in a coffee shop, me, him, and this other guy, and and he said, he said, John, he said, "I, I really have come to the conclusion that the gospel is true for me. He's like, I'm not ready to say that it's universally true, but I, I, I see how it's working for my life. That's a really fatal flaw and, a, and something I had to continue to speak into his life, and I don't honestly know to the, at this point whether he truly grasped the gospel or not. But you can't come to the gospel and say, it's true for me, but you know, for the people who live in this country or that world or under that religion, that's their truth. Because Jesus died and rose again. Scripture tells us that Jesus was born under the reign of Tiberius Caesar. It's a historical truth that Jesus was crucified for our sins and after 3 days he rose bodily, not spiritually, but bodily from the grave and he was seen by countless witnesses. He interacted with many, many eyewitnesses. And the apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're not saved. We have no hope. And so the the resurrection is the central tenet of our faith, and no other religion can make its validity based upon, can state its validity, state on these historical facts and truths like this. There's no other religion in the world that compares to the history that the the gospel is based upon and rooted on. And so while maybe you're newer to the faith or newer to church world, and you think, well, I'm just kind of like that Keith guy. You know, this seems to be working for me at this point. You have to look at the truth historically of Scripture and see that it doesn't just make sense for you. It's truth regardless of how you feel about it. And so the gospel is good news because it doesn't depend upon us, how we think and how we feel. The gospel is about God and his faithfulness to his own purposes. I read some statistics this past week that Generation Z, which they tell us are people born between 1997 and 2012, so definitely not me, um, this is the least religious group in our history. In fact, 34% of this group, 1997 through 2012, identify as atheists or agnostics. But still, if you look at those numbers, they're definitely disturbing, but it still shows that the majority of people, even in that age demographic, still believe in some sort of spirituality. They still follow some pseudo-religion or go to some pseudo-spiritual church. And so you still see people searching for something beyond themselves. They realize there's more out there. And so as a church, we have to be faithful to what God has called us to do, which is to have an un shakable confidence in the gospel and continue to communicate the gospel for the historical reality that it is. All right, so you're following with that. So that's the first one I think most of you say, I'm on board with that. All right, here's the one where we can get hung up a little bit on. All right, we have to be careful that we don't make the gospel appear to simply be a set of principles that make us feel warm and fuzzy and give us a good thought for the day. Let me say that again we got to be careful that we don't just turn the gospel, turn the Bible into your daily little verse for the day or your daily little thought for the day, that I got that, and so my day is going to be brighter and better because I feel very inspired, all right? That's not the point of the Bible. It's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is this. The chief end of man is to exalt God, to lift up God, to glorify God and enjoy him. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory. And so when we turn it around and make it a resource for our self-improvement or for our personal prosperity, we miss the point of the gospel. We miss the point of why we were called and adopted in the first place. The gospel restores in us the ability to live the way God originally intended. We exist to glorify him. And when we glorify him in our lives, we find great enjoyment in that. We find great enjoyment through that. So God isn't giving us faith so he can make our life miserable. But as Paul says, whatever situation, as he said in Philippians, I find myself in. I'm content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So no matter what comes our way, the fact that God is for us and he's not against us, we can have a whole different mindset because we have this unshakable confidence in the gospel, and we understand that the second thing, the gospel creates a gospel-driven people, not a me-centered, me-the-way-I-want-to-feel-centered people, but it creates a gospel-centered people. Look at the First Peter passage. We're going to spend the rest of the time here. First Peter 2, 9-10. through Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, there's a couple of things happening here that you may overlook. Throughout the Scripture, you always see doctrine is given. Here's truth, and as a result of truth, now here's the application. Go and do these things rooted in this truth. But what happens when we turn the Bible just into feel-good principles and a thought for the inspirational thought for the day and something we throw up a, a verse out of context on our wall that we look at and we're like, oh, yeah, I feel better about my day now. We, we pull the gospel, we pull the, root, the, the application of the gospel away from the root of the gospel, and then we try to keep the gospel based on our own strength, not rooted in the doctrine of the gospel. And so we have to make extra sure that we understand, like in this passage of Scripture in, in verse 9, it says, here's who you are in Christ. In Christ, you've, God has given you this incredible identity, not just as an individual, but as a collective body of people, as a group. You have this incredible identity. Here's who you are in the gospel. So if your faith is truly in Jesus, this is now your identity. And as a result of that identity, when we know who we are, we naturally, we are just who we are, right? We, we just live out who we are, all right? Some of you met my dad over the last couple of weeks, all right? Several of you said, whoa, I, I, you really look a lot like, like your dad, all right? Clearly, that uh, should be obvious, right? Because I come from my dad. And Harrison and Amelia, who are sitting back here, came from me. And so we have the same family resemblance, right? And so these traits are passed down naturally through us. The same thing is true with our identity in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, gone, the new has begun. So you're naturally being conformed into the image of Jesus. You're rooted in the gospel. You're able to be who God says that you are. And so God says, look at the, look at the verse. God says he has chosen us as a new race of people, a holy nation. That as Jesus' followers, we're a people who have attained membership into this chosen race Not because of some physical descendant from Abraham, but by coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus. So unlike the Old Testament where the Jewish people were identified because we're children of Abraham, we are now sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We're sons of God because of Jesus. And so we're this new race. We're this chosen race. And he says, get this, a royal priesthood, all right? I doubt you think of yourself as a priest. But Scripture says, if you're in Christ, look, I don't care if this is the first time you've been at church in three months. If you claim to be a Christian, Scripture says you're a priest. All right. You may not be acting as a very good priest, but you're still a priest. And so most of you don't get up in the morning with the realization that that's who you are. In the old covenant, the priest offered animal sacrifices. What do the new priests in the new covenant do? We offer spiritual sacrifices, which the New Testament identifies as offering our body as a living sacrifice. Offering ourselves, we're the sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. You know what that means? That means that everything that you do as a priest is an act of worship if it's done for God's glory. Everything that you do for God's glory is serving as a sacrifice in much the same way that the Old Testament priest gave a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma to God, our lives, when we live for His glory, are a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. So we're offering spiritual sacrifices, you know, and, and just mundane things. You know, you guys that showed up to set up the gym this morning, I hope you hit your brain for at least a second, I'm doing this for God's glory, and to encourage our church so we get together and we celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ. This morning. You know, oftentimes we don't. I mean, Mitch and I roll in here really early on Sunday, and, and it's easy for us just to forget oh, another dime is setting up the gym, and you know, here we go, pulling out the tarps and putting up the drape. Those are acts of worship. If we give it to God and say, God, this is for your glory, this is for your people together, together in your name. But everything can be done if it's done for God's glory in that way. Every Christian now can come with confidence. To the throne of grace, Scripture says in Hebrews. And corporate worship, get this, corporate worship among Christians should be seen as a unique and beautiful entrance into the presence of God. That there's something special when God's people gather in His name. Not because this building is sacred, not because you know any church around who has big stained glass windows and a cross on the, steeple, on the top of the steeple, not because that's a holy place. It's because we gather together in His name. And God, he enjoys hearing our singing and our praising and our lifting of our hands. And so we're a people of his own possession. That's the truth. Now, here's the application. Verse 9, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're joyful witnesses of grace. Joyful witnesses of grace. So many times people stress over, like, oh. Sharing the gospel is just so hard. And, you know, it's like, I don't know the answers to all the questions. What is a witness? If you witness something, right? If you witness lightning on Friday night, it's easiest here. Whoa, you should have seen the lightning. Like, it was amazing. It just lit up the sky, and the thunder was so loud. You're just a witness to what you saw and what you encountered. A witness just proclaims the excellencies of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did in your life what he's done on the cross to give you salvation. Don't put all this pressure on yourself. Like, oh, they're a pretty smart person. I don't know exactly what to say. Just proclaim. Just proclaim the excellencies. Just say, God was against me. His wrath was on me, but he's for me in Jesus Christ. Why well, don't believe that? Well, I'm telling you, it's true. Jesus died and rose again. And I believe it. Not because it's not true because I believe it. It's true historically. It's true because it happened. And I'm resting my faith in it, and I'm living for his glory. Well, I don't agree. Well, God bless you. Maybe we'll talk again. So don't put all this pressure on yourself. Just, just lift up what, what God did on the cross through Jesus Christ. Lift him up, that he's working. When, when you go through a, through a difficult time, what, a, what an opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ. What a witness. You go through a tough time, and they're like, oh, man. I know you're going through a lot lately. Sorry, man, sorry to hear about that. You know, it's not easy. It's hard. Some days I'm really sad. But God is with me, and God is for me. And my faith shows me that no matter how tough things may seem and how difficult things may seem at this moment, that God is going to use this for his glory and for my good. Get that. Hear that. You use your trial and your situation and your struggle To point people. You're a witness proclaiming the excellencies of Him. So you root your life in Him and you live to proclaim Him. You guys know I quote New Morning Mercies often because I love reading these devotions every day. But Fridays was one of my favorite I've used here before. It said, You are the look on Christ's face, talking to believers. You're the look on His face. You are the tones of His voice. You are the touch of His hands. You are the physical representative of his grace. This is your mission in every relationship of your life, to make the grace of the invisible king visible. You make Jesus visible through your love of the word, through your knowledge of the word, and through your application of the word, and becoming more and more like Christ. So have this unshakable confidence in the word. Number three, the gospel, doc, gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. Look at verse 10. He says, you were, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So think about this for a second. Think about culture. We don't use that word a lot, but every church has a culture. It goes from the time you pull in the parking lot through what happens as you sit in your seat. Is this church friendly? Is it unfriendly? Do people there seem authentic? Are they real? Are they not? Every church has a culture. Every K group has a culture, right? You go to one K group, it's going to be one feel to it. You go to another K group, it's going to be a different feel to it. Not necessarily right or wrong, just everything has a culture to it. And Scripture says that the gospel, the doctrine of the gospel, creates in us a gospel culture. What is a gospel culture? What, is he talk, what are we talking about here? Every church has a culture, a gospel culture. What does it mean? He says, look, he says, you realize, in verse 10, you had not received mercy. Once you had it, you didn't have it. You didn't have mercy from God. Because of your sin, you deserved hell and eternal separation from God. He says, here's who you were. The other day, Sean sent me a text message and with a picture, I got the picture because you got to see this. Go ahead and put that picture up here. Here's Colton. Colton loves to preach, all right? And, and so Colton sets up his little podium there, and he has a—what does he use for his earpiece? A pipe, a pipe cleaner. He puts a little pipe cleaner by his ear, and he preaches his little sermons there in the living room. It's, it's so cute, adorable. Sean sends me these pictures. But it's interesting, as Sean said, every time that he starts his sermon out, he remembers this one thing that I said. He says, I'll just read Sean's word. He says, of all the things he's heard you say, he opened with, do you know how many butts there are in the Bible? <laughs> all right, Colton, here's another butt in the Bible. You're sitting over there. Are you sitting over there? All right. Um, he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to just think about that for a second. Paul is showing us that a gospel culture says, I was once an object of wrath. Once God God's favor was not on me. But because of Jesus and because of faith that he gave me in the cross, but now I have received mercy. When we understand that our acceptance was with God is not based upon our efforts and our works, but it's based upon Christ, it just changes the culture of our church. And we all, look, we all, if we know the doctrine here, we can still naturally just fall into, again and again, fall into just naturally falling into this performance mindset. Because everything in the world is arranged and set up based on performance. Your job is based upon performance. Your um, sports are based on performance. Everything that you do in life is based upon performance. But the gospel is just the totally opposite of that. It's based upon what Christ did, not what you do. And so we naturally drift back into this performance mindset, and we have this short-term gospel memory. And we should be humble and kind and loving because we understand and remember the kindness and the love and the generosity that God had on us because of Jesus. But what do we do? We drop back into being vindictive, proud, and angry. We do. We, we all are guilty of that so often. We forget the gospel. We have, as Paul Tripp says, gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel, and we become proud, we become angry, and we become vindictive toward people. But he says, once you had not received mercy, but now, because of Jesus, you have received mercy. We had to celebrate that every day because we will forget it. We will forget it. And you know I advocate, and our elders advocate, over and over again, be in the Word every day, preferably, personal preference, in the morning. Jesus went early in the morning to pray, to be with his Father. I encourage you to start a habit, get into a routine of a morning being in the Word and prayer. But please, please start your day, start your quiet time with a reminder of the gospel and what God did for you in Christ that I I was undeserving, completely undeserving, That I was on my way to destruction, as the song we sang, as, as Sonia sang. I was on my way to destruction, but Jesus came and saved me. And as a result of that and understanding that and reminding ourselves of that every single day, that God is for us, not against us, not because of what we do and how well we do it, but based on Jesus and Jesus alone, we begin to have a gospel mindset. And our church begins to have a gospel culture. And it's driven from this gospel doctrine that understands what Jesus did and who he is. And as a result of that, we live our lives in the same manner. Pastor Matt Chandler writes, Our motivation to obey the commands of Scripture can finally become a delight when we see that the reasons almost always in Scripture center around God's love and provision for us in Christ. Through the gospel, the Holy Spirit empowers our motivations so that we are driven with gladness, not guilt, being ever reminded of our forgiveness in the gospel, not our failures in the law. It is in God's ability, not ours. That's the grace that compels us. That's the gospel that compels us. If you don't just sit with that every day for a few minutes, I promise you, that you'll default to the way the world views everything. Anger, vindictiveness, frustration, pride. That will be your default. But every day you get in this Word, and every day you say, God, remind me of the Word of Christ, the gospel. And every day, I, I have it on my prayer list. I mean, just, I just literally have it written out, gospel reminders to appropriate the gospel in my life, because I will not live the gospel at all in any way shape or form if I'm not praying over it and seeking God's power in my life this is one of those things where I've probably said that a thousand times since I've been your pastor to get in the word daily but sadly many of you just have not been able to create that habit and you wonder why your life is like this because it's based on your feelings it's based upon how you feel about God at that moment Or how you feel about yourself at that moment. And you become very self-centered in your thinking. And it's all about, like, God, are you against me? Because all this bad stuff's happening. You forget the gospel, which says that he's giving you mercy. If nothing ever good ever happens again in your life, you have way more spiritual blessing than you can ever imagine, dream of, and hope for. Because God is for you in Christ, not against you. And so every day you remind yourself of that. You wake up. With that because Satan would wants nothing more. listen, Satan wants nothing more than to create a culture here of, of gospel pride. all right? We know it. all right We know the stuff. We, we you know we, we go to the, the theology class we know even we're learning even more stuff, right? And we need to learn. like I said, the application has to flow from the gospel from the doctrine. but we can't stay right here and just say, I know it. You don't really know it till you do it, right? You don't really know it till you apply it and do it. And so you step out in faith, just like I said at the beginning, the same way you came to Christ is, I'm just free-falling into your arms, Jesus. I got nothing here. I got no way to get to you. God, I need Jesus. I need the cross. And I just fall in your arms. That's the way we do every day. We say, Jesus, I got nothing today for you if you don't show up. If you don't give me the power through the Spirit, if you don't remind me of the Word of Christ, if you don't fill me with the Word of Christ, I'm just going to fall flat on my face because I'm not living in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm not dying to myself. I don't see that I'm a new creation in Christ. All I'm thinking about is living for my agenda today. And so we take the gospel and we apply it to our life. And each and every step of the way, we just appropriate it and we allow the gospel to change us. So the gospel... Refuses, let's get some practical here. The gospel refuses to ref, uh, to return insult for insult. Somebody insults you, the natural human thing is, I'm going to insult you back. The gospel says, no, you don't. The gospel says, love your enemies. And not just love your enemies, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You praying for Joe Biden? Oh, just wondering. Um, The gospel culture pursues our brothers and sisters who are running away from Jesus and indulging their sin. You see, a culture of proud, uh, a proud culture in a church, they see somebody off in sin, and you know what they do? They're like, and they begin to judge. And like, I can't believe that. I can't believe they'd be like that. A gospel culture runs toward that person, pursues that person. And sometimes people don't want to be pursued, and you might, you'll probably get rejected. But you still you reach out your arms and say, we're here when you're ready to return. We love you. And we know that we are no better than you are apart from Jesus Christ. And we create a gospel culture, gospel of grace, because we have received mercy beyond comprehension. And now, as ambassadors for Jesus, we share that same mercy with others. What would change in your marriage if you stopped keeping score and embraced a gospel culture? Instead of like, well, you did this and this and this, so you can't really say anything about me doing that, right? We keep score. We begin to tally it up, and we have it there in our mind, and we whip it out whenever we need it, right? It's there. But the gospel says love is patient and kind. It's sacrificial. That's the way that we live our lives. What would change in your marriage culture if you made it a gospel culture? How about work with your extended family? What if you just lived your life with this gospel culture? The gospel. God does not give us what our sins deserve, but he gave us mercy. So do you have a right, humanly speaking, to be angry at that person? Absolutely. Do you have a right intellectually, culturally, to never talk to that person again because of what they've done to you? Absolutely. But a gospel culture is different than a human culture. Gospel culture says, I was dead. Listen, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, I was without hope. But, Colton, but Jesus came. He loves. We love because He first loved us. He came for us when we couldn't come for Him. That's the gospel culture that Grace Church needs to have when we have unshakable confidence in the gospel. Number four, the doctrine of gospel grace, gospel grace creates a culture of grace that bears living witness to the power of Jesus. bears living witness. Let me just read these last two verses, and then we'll close. Verse 11 and 12, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So he's reminding them, this world ain't your home, all right? You're just coming through it for a little while, but you're exiting out, and you're going to stand before God one day. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh. So these passions, to be vindictive and angry and to hurt people and to retaliate and get even. He says, he says I abstain from them, don't give in to them. And they wage war against your soul. You know that feeling, right? You know that war that's happening. He says, don't live that way. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify you, right? No, and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he says, here's who you are. And as a result of who you are, now be who you are. Live the life that he has empowered you to live. And seek him daily. Seek him in relationship. And out of that, out of his word, comes the power. Because faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of Christ. We apply the word of Christ. We hear it, we apply it. And our lives are different. And people notice. They see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So our head, heart, and hands, head, the doctrine of grace will lead to a culture of grace if you really get grace, if you really get the gospel, okay? The doctrine of grace will lead you to a culture of grace. In your home, if you and your spouse really understand the doctrine of grace and you're digging down deep to the gospel of grace, your home will be a culture of grace. Our church will be a culture of grace. Your K group will be a culture of grace. So, our heart, we must rehearse and pray the gospel just every morning. Just start every day, just in the gospel, praying the gospel, living the gospel, asking God for the power. And then our hands. Who do you need to show mercy to? If we're gonna be, listen, if we're gonna be a culture of grace, there's some people in this room that you need to go and make things right with, plain and simple. There's some people who have wronged you and they don't really deserve for you to be kind to them. They've really hurt you bad. They've hurt your family bad. They've said things about you. And humanly speaking, you should just keep your grudge going, and you should be angry. The gospel says Jesus came for us when we could not come for him. You represent Jesus. You're his ambassador. A culture of grace begins with a person on this side of the room not avoiding a person on this side of the room. Refusing to allow your feelings about this person here to stop you from going to the k group. But you say, Jesus, you loved me. And there's nothing I can do to earn your love. You did what I could never do. That's what I want. Because I love you so much. And out of that gospel generosity and just love for Jesus, it compels you to do the commands of Scripture. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for Grace Church that we truly will regroup around the gospel. May our conversations in K-Group, may our conversations outside of K-Group, may our conversations in the yard before K-Group be pointing to the gospel through our good deeds and through our love for one another that the neighbors around us will see something's different about us. Through our kindness, through our forgiveness, through our patience, that people will recognize that our culture here at Grace is representing you, Jesus, because that's what we're here for. We're followers of you. We're your, your people, your race. We're your chosen priesthood. And we want to represent you well. And God, I pray that you'll just give... The people in here feel convicted by the Spirit to make things right so that the sin that's in our camp, so to speak, will not permeate and take root and spread. But, God, you will allow them to go and make things right and to heal those wounds that have been festering for so long. And, God, may we truly be a people who represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen.